no, no plunder on TV will ever get a job again. <laughs> Welcome back to the 40 Yard Switch, episode 26, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we're back, three fully vaxxed individuals looking hot and fresh and ready for the summer and ready to give you some really hot analysis of the Premier League. Uh, but yeah, although uh, we're still on Zoom. <laughs> Like, like we've already tried this once and we'll be said that before, but I've stolen his joke. So, uh, yeah, we're still on Zoom, but we're here to delve into another great week of Premier League action. As I, as I just said, Wilby is returning uh, after his last week's absence. Uh, good to have you back, mate. Thanks, mate. It's good to be back. <laughs> and joining us again for the second week in two weeks is uh, Josh Ring. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. Twice in a row. What not? Just, just couldn't yeah. bench him after that performance. Really. Yeah, it was, it, it was unreal. The, the, rave, the, the rave reviews were in. <laughs> you can't. Uh, so, yes, uh, this week uh, we'll be having two of the three people's teams mentioned in Everton and, and Liverpool, but my Arsenal, uh, we spent enough time on them last week, so no mention of them this week. On top of that, they had a very boring game against Brighton. But anyway... Yeah. Not much to say, really. <laughs> yeah, that was it was just it was wet, it was windy, and Arsenal got dominated, but we didn't lose. Anyway, uh, so Liverpool versus Man City. Two all, uh, the battle of arguably the the well, probably not even arguably the two heaviest weights in the Premier League. Uh, initial thoughts, we'll start off with the Liverpool man himself, Josh Ring. How'd you how'd you see it? Uh was worrying first half. Um Man City sat with a really low block, which was very interesting because how often do you see Man City putting bodies right on the edge of the box? But uh, after about the 15-minute mark, they really took over the game and it was a very cagey first half. Um, it was a bit worrying being up so late, watching the game, hoping that it wasn't going to be 90 minutes of that, but it all changed in the second half, didn't it? It really did. Interesting you said cagey because me and Wilbur have said well there was no goal scored it was i wouldn't cage is not the word i would have used to describe it i would have used it as a city were quite all over liverpool um without creating too many clear-cut chances or forcing out into too many saves there's definitely a few moments where would you agree that city could have definitely gone one or two up yeah i, th- I think especially de bruyne's header like he he, he should be scoring that like every day of the week that is like Heaps of room, back post. He had all the time in the world. Um, and, yeah, there, there were a few other moments. But, yeah, the, Liverpool definitely seemed to get outplayed in that first half. And just Bernardo Silva's run, that was like – I mean, I suppose it got overshadowed a little bit in the second half by uh, Mo Salah. But, like, that run and the would-be assist was was incredible. Yeah, really, he really – Made Henderson look silly. He made he made Van Dyke look silly, even though Van Dyke slipped. Yeah, it was it was a it was the best moment of the game until stuff we'll talk about in a second in the second half. It was definitely Curtis and Henderson that got ran rings around because they tried to tackle him both in the midfield and he slipped through. So yeah, they were the ones who looked the silliest for sure. So yeah, what do you think about uh, our take there, Josh? That it was maybe not cagey, but maybe just Liverpool being in a. Somewhat not not dire straits, but you know, hanging on for dear life. 
well, I as after I said it and you mentioned it, it was a KG performance by Liverpool. Oh, because yeah. in that first half, I mentioned this to you in a time. Normally, we get a lot of wits with our fullbacks and we push them up really high up the pitch. However, in the first half, we were, instead of trying to hit long balls to the wing and hit, you know, Trent or Robertson, we were leaving our fullbacks deep. And so we were trying to hit like Salah or Mane in that channel between the fullback and the centre-back. So we were really just not, we were trying to attack without attacking. We were just throwing really weak little punches, just being like, oh, let's just test you out and hope one of these comes off. So we really weren't putting out the, the type of style that we normally do. And, yeah, it was very cagey from Liverpool City. We're way, way better than us in the first half. It, it probably didn't help that... um Trent wasn't playing and you had Milner at right back who uh, on one hand, isn't the creative outlet that Trent is, but on the other hand, um, like Milner is not like a bad defender when he's in midfield. And I'm not saying that Trent is like a massive miss defensively, but I do think Trent would have handled Foden at least a little bit better than Milner probably would have. Would you, would you agree? Like I, I think you're, you're being a bit, like soft there, like Milner's a midfielder. He's not a right back. He feels in the job against Norwich and, you know, lower half teams. But you look at this game, you've got Trent, who's been the most creative player this, this year in the Premier League. He's had most chances created, most passes into the box, most successful crosses. Look at that offensively. That's gone. And then, you know, we put in Milner instead, who's, a bit of an old school defender, you know, he loves to put in a, a tough tackle or so, but City got Boy, to put Foden in space one-on-one against him. And like yeah. Foden one-on-one in space against James Milner, like what are you meant to do? Like, yeah, everyone's saying Foden played an amazing game, but like his entire career, it was literally handed to him the perfect situation to excel. Oh, <laughs> bit of animosity there to Phil Foden. <laughs> uh, but I yeah, think, no, no. Um, I mean, I mean, he did. He did have sort of an easy, easy run against. Well, not easy, but relatively easy run against James Milner. But he's still he stepped up consistently in in big games and particularly against Liverpool, when potentially the the conditions weren't quite as favourable. I think. I don't know. I think I think it's also a good time. I think I think yes, Foden has had a very lucky being in a team that is a star started as City, but I I feel like he got a give him his roses a little bit he was immense not only yesterday but like really since he's come back from injury i think but um i think let, let uh, that that aside city obviously dominated uh the first half but then that must have, i, I want to josh i want to see <laughs> i want to ask what you reckon klopp must have said at halftime because that was arguably one of the best halftime talks I've seen a manager make in recent years because the the turnaround from half to half was incredible. Well, as much as it was a, a, a halftime talk, it was definitely a change of tactic. We were a lot more um, aggressive with the ball and we were also, I guess, just a little bit more, how would you say, a bit more driven to be... Um, like snappier and like we're not just here to control the pace and play the ball around the midfield and like we really have to be quick if we want to get through this city team. Um, Klopp's a good man manager. He probably gave them a bit of a 
a spray, but it was more combined with a tactical change at the same time. It's like, hey, we need to do this differently now. And the way you're playing isn't good enough to do that. So it was probably a two. Yeah. I think, I think, I think this story as well is, is was, was a tale of um, the two best managers in the, in the Premier League, I think. Just like tactically, the way City started, the way Liverpool responded, then the way City responded to the way Liverpool responded because they came from behind twice. It was just really incredible to watch. Um, and it's, I, I, I think I've already mentioned this to, to both of you, but I think, and I know it's early, it's seven games in, but my takeaway from this game was, I think everyone's talked about how United and Chelsea have got a lot better this season and it's a four-horse race for the title. If I think like this game really proved to me that it's still pretty much a two-horse race. Wilbur, how, do you, how would you respond to that first and then I'll get on to Josh? I think it's like some of the, you guys both touched on last week as well. It's like Liverpool and Man City are full of world-class players. So like so, so are Chelsea and United, but you kind of just don't see quite as much the just like one percenters and just players working really hard for the team as, as much in, in Chelsea and United. So yeah, I, th- I think for that reason, I, I agree with you. I think it's a, it's a two horse race still. Yeah. Josh. Um, I was not convinced by Liverpool after this game and I'm going to stick with the same line I've had since before the season that Man City should win the league this year. And if they don't, it will be a failure of Manchester City because although our best 11 is able to stick it up against Man City, like we have James Milner playing it right back. We have Curtis Jones playing in the centre of midfield. Now, I think Curtis Jones is a good player, but we've spoken about this before, he's not at that top level. And you look at Manchester City's bench, any of those players that they had on their bench, they could have subbed on for the players they had on the field to start with, and it would have been an equally as hard game. So I think their level of depth is that extra factor that makes me feel like they're a much better side than Liverpool. We had some most solid moments of glory, but yeah, they should have put away some chances in the first half. Um, We were lucky not to go in down and I would say they were probably slightly the better team. This is true. I think uh, this, that what you said actually brings me on to my, and, and the next point I actually had, but just briefly, I think, um, I think I, I still think, and I, I don't know about everyone else, but I, I, I'd still think as well that I think it's this, this city's title to lose based on their squad depth and how they've been playing and everything. Uh, I was more sort of just saying that like what Liverpool sh- have showed me so far this season and what Liverpool showed me yesterday versus, uh, for example, how Chelsea played against City a week ago shows me that Liverpool are the closest team to City out of the four, as probably what I would say. Would you mm. agree? I, I think if you look at the Liverpool game against Chelsea, though, where they had 10 men for about 60 minutes and we were really unable to break them down, that's kind of holds me back a bit and like yeah maybe we put out a better game against City but we didn't really look like we were that much better than Chelsea when we played them so that's just what gives me a bit of pause because City were able to dominate Chelsea with 11 on 11 and we couldn't do it with 11 on 10. Fair I remember Wilbur me and you saying that like when you watch the Liverpool Chelsea game that Liverpool and Liverpool looked substantially better than Chelsea when there was 11 on 11. It's only when Chelsea went to 10 that they looked a little bit, you know, less good. So 
what, what do you reckon, Wuba? Do you reckon Liverpool are, you know, are, 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 are look look the best of the rest, or do you do you reckon that you know they're? I th- I I think they still seem seem like the best of the rest to me. I mean, for for reasons that you guys touched on last last week and kind of got shown this week, and we'll get onto in a bit. United aren't there. Um, yeah, with with Chelsea, I, I I suppose the jury's out a little bit. They seem to be like faltering, maybe a tiny bit. Um, the loss to Juventus in the Champions League isn't great, but yeah, for, for me, yeah, it definitely just seems like a two horse race. Yeah, and my last point now is just something that um, kind of comes back to sort of what we were talking about in terms of squad depth last last week. Um, uh, is that like, and it's what you just said before, Josh, is that like. Milner at right back and Curtis Jones in centre mid sort of shows you that like Liverpool's lack of investment in the summer, despite signing onto a few contracts, which uh, signing quite a few contracts, which me and Wilby have uh, applauded them for in previous episodes, they still only went and bought one centre back and uh, didn't didn't have don't have right back cover because Nico Williams obviously isn't rated highly enough, and now with a couple of injuries in midfield and uh, Naby Keita being injured or when he was indisposed in his uh, country of birth like it, it it is a worry that like you know a couple injuries in a couple positions and all of a sudden they're fielding right back uh, center mids at right back and and under 23 players at center mid so is this could this become a long-term thing i'll start with will be this time and then we'll move on to josh but do you think this is a, a worry long term and something they might have to address in january I just suppose, given Liverpool's financial positions, they can't really be in Man City's position. They they can't go out and buy everything they need for as much money that it takes every every transfer window. I feel like I feel I feel like they had a good transfer window and that they secured the contracts of of the players that they need. And you know maybe they can go again. Like and Kunate is 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 a good signing. Um, it might not be a big impact this season, but it is a good signing and probably one moving forward. Um, but yeah, they, yeah, I, I suppose they definitely need to invest more, but yeah. yeah at, at, at the right back position, probably specifically. Yeah. 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 But Josh, is, is there, is there anyone out there that could, that is, a, you know, cause Trent's one of a kind really. Well, like, yeah, you Nico Williams was the up-and-comer a couple of years ago. And it's like, oh, wow, look, we've got another young talent as a second, like, behind Trent at right-back. But he had a pretty bad Euros. I don't know if you saw for Wales. He didn't have a, didn't yeah, have a great saw, time. Yeah, we, we saw. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just, he seems to have stagnated a bit. Um, Joe Gomez has converted his game into being just a centre-back, where before he was kind of a bit of both. So we can put him at right-back, but that's not, like, he's... he's a bit more physical now. He's a bit bigger. He doesn't have that finesse, and especially going forward, like we do it right back. Um, when African Cup of Nations comes around, we're screwed. Um, if you look at our front three, after our front three of you know the classic Mane, Salah, Firmino, we've got Jota. That's the perfect four in rotation. But then you've got Minamino and Origi, and those two have not been great. Um, we're going to lose two forwards to African Cup of Nations. Um, well, Matip. Matip and Cater. And it feels like Liverpool's just playing injury roulette. Last year we lost. And this year it's like, well, it won't happen again. And then we get a broken leg. 
in the first yeah. five games of the season. So Tiago can't stay fit. And it's just, it's like we're, yeah, we're playing roulette. And if we lose, we lose hard. And if we win, then you know, we might win the league. <laughs> Jesus, it's a pretty good upside, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Uh, so moving on uh, to the next big game of uh, the weekend, which was United versus Everton, the, the, which was actually the, the first cab off the rank as with City Liverpool being the, the, the last cab off the rank in terms of Premier League uh, starting times. So one all uh, and Wilbur, is this, what, what, what do you want to take more from this game? Everton were good or United were again lackluster? I think... I think probably like Everton have been solid in basically like most games this year. I remember the the Burnley game, we got kind of dominated a bit. And then in the end, the quality kind of like our quality overtook them. The Aston, Aston Villa game, the opposite happened. We kind of absorbed pressure and it was too much. I think this one, again, we were solid, but United just didn't show enough to sort of overrun that sort of solid unit. So but yeah, I think it would be really nice to have uh, Dominic Cavalo and Richarlison back. <laughs> yeah, because Rondon does not look fit at all. And no, not sharp he enough. was he was treading water about seventy minutes in, or even before that. But I think it also like I, I, I'm going to get on to United in a second because we've already touched on United a lot um, in not only last episode but episodes previous. But I think. I think it, like, despite not having Seamus Coleman, despite not having Dominic Cavalier, and despite not having Richarlison, I thought Everton were deserving of a point, possibly even three, if Tom Davies knew how to shoot. <laughs> so I think it, it really does show that like under Rafa, and in my opinion, unsurprisingly, like you're a well-drilled, organized uh, outfit that hits really effectively, like that, like on the counter, like that counter for the Townsend goal is not the first time we've seen a really nice counter attack from Everton this season led by the likes of Ducure and, and Damari Gray. So I think it's definitely like, and this is what sitting in fifth, I think at the moment. And from based on what I've seen from literally everyone else in the Premier League by the top four, I, I don't see any reason if you can keep Richardson and, and um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin fit for a large part of the season, why they can't be around that area come the end of the season. Yeah, I think it's 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 pretty incredible the way that Damari Gray's like started this Premier League season, like just killed it, and Decore as well. Um, but yeah, there's 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 lots of highlights like that. But again, I suppose similar to Liverpool, the squad depth is like like really really poor. Like I think there was two like eighteen year old kids from the under twenty threes on on the bench. It's yeah, I think that could be a big issue moving forward. Josh has got his hand up. <laughs> Josh, you, something to say? Utilising the, uh, the Zoom. I'm here to defend Tom Davies past Yeri Mina. Okay, I interesting think, take. <laughs> I think to that defend. too many people get on the back of Tom Davies for playing a pass when in the actual fact, too many Premier League players will shoot from positions they should be passing the ball in. Now, this is probably me growing up with futsal instead of outdoor as my main of the two sports. This is definitely but, you doing that. <laughs> but this is not Tom Davies' fault. This is Yeri Mina's fault. He is, why on earth are you offside in that position? Like, that is the biggest error you could possibly make. Like, even if De Gea makes a save, if the ball rebounds, 
who's going to tap it in? Yeri Mina, oh, it's still offside. Like you need to stay onside there. And Tom Davies shouldn't look across, see a player open there for a tap in and expect him to be offside. So you just give the ball to him, right? Because he's always going to be onside. So that's just a huge error by Yeri Mina instead. Because look, honestly, if you look across, what's, what are you going to do? You should pass him the ball because he's in open space. You take that chance at a save to zero. I would say, yes, there's some blame for Yeri Mina, but there's also some blame for Tom Davies because the position he's in isn't like that wide of the goal. And like I reckon seven or eight times out of 10, a player finds himself in that position is shooting, not passing. I think... Yeah, the, oh, shot's, I, the shot's just so, so clearly on. And like Yeri Mina shouldn't be offside for sure because of the, the rebound thing. But you, you've got to shoot from that position. He's literally in, he's got like a five meter like radius around him. You've also so got a player space. who doesn't have the confidence to want to pull the shot there. Though. That's that, that, like obviously that's yeah. coming out of him. But like yeah. if let's say he shoots there and he gets saved or it misses and Yeri Mina is just sitting there waiting for a tap in, why do we never say, why didn't he pass the ball? We always just say, oh, bad luck when it's like an obvious pass is on. Like, I just feel like there's the, we never look and say such a terrible decision not to pass the ball when there's obviously a lot of great passes across the box that could be played. But if he doesn't shoot, all of a sudden he gets roasted alive. This is fair. That's a fair point. But I also think that, I don't know, like often there'll be times when a striker, when a striker will be in not as much, wide open space as Tom Davies was will have more of a tight angle to goal than Tom Davies did. And I think you, you make a valid point, Josh, but I also think that, and this is something me and Wilbur said, Tom Davies is in that much time and space with not much angle to goal. But what we said was when watching the game is that like, it, it's almost like he had too much time and space. Like he, he, he sort of like, for lack of a better phrase, shat himself a little bit and was like, Holy shit, I've got all this, like time and space uh, and then obviously maybe low on confidence, whatever chose, chose that pass rather than shooting for, for, for me. I, I feel like you make a good point, but for, just, just for me, I feel like, I, I just feel like you got to shoot there. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's just, maybe, like, maybe that's just futsal versus futsal versus outdoor training. But um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like you got to shoot there, but like, yeah, Mina, Mina, Mina should be on site as well. But then again, it's just like center back, in that position, probably not used to as used to being in that scoring position. And also this is Yeri Mina we're talking about, you know. I love I loved the celebration. <laughs> that was so good. And then it's like clearly offside. Yeah. <laughs> and he's doing his little dance. So good. <laughs> but yeah, um on to United after what was uh a, a very solid Everton performance. So yeah, like we said before, Everton missing Multiple first team players, their two best goal scorers, um, uh, and their right back and captain. And uh, yes, United rested players, but if you know, like I said before about squad depth, United should have the squad depth to still beat a team at home. I'm not going to say like Everton because Everton are a good outfit, but like the amount of talent they have on that team, they should they they should win that game. Like even with resting Ronaldo, even with resting Pogba, they still had Fernandez. They still had, you know, 250k a week Martial, <laughs> even though he's not hot on form. This is a thing that um, Josh sent me before. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's 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 like they had a lot of players. So like 
I don't know. For me, again, it just compounds what we were talking about and what we've been talking about with United for a while. It's just, just lack, like despite Ronaldo, and this may, may, may be something that Ronaldo still hasn't quite built into the entire team, but this could also just become something that comes from the coach. Or I don't know, but there's the, that lack of killer instinct. Like we, we, when we were watching the game, we said the last 10, 15 minutes, like how many chances did United, United really create, like clear-cut chances? How many saves did Ramsdale make aside from that tame shot from Jaden Sancho? Yeah, I think I think as well they just they just rely on that like on these on these amazing attacking players to have moments at the end of games and when you have a midfield like United have at the moment it's very hard to you know consistently create the chances and it just seems to be always be the same story. Fred each week. Fred Fred again. Yeah. <laughs> Fred again. Yeah, but I think as well as you guys were saying, I think. At, at some point, Ollie's got to make a decision to to change it up or just tell McTominay, this is where you sit right here and then play Pogba in position because if they don't get things right, you know, Pogba could decide to leave for free at the end of the season um, and then you've got a really big problem, I think, in the middle. They don't have to play Donny van der Beek. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing as well because, you know, then... You, there's no room to play Donny van der Beek because the system they they've got two holding midfielders. If you if you play Pogba, then you know you can rotate Donny van der Beek through. But there's there's literally no scope because you can't play him at left left wing like Pogba does. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. And another thing that I was interesting was that I heard I don't know which pundit said it, but I heard a pundit say it midweek. It was like you've got Jesse Lingard who's come off the bench and scored a worldie against West Ham. Has looked really good for every time he's come off the bench and looked good for England. You've rotated your squad heavily, but somehow, but somehow have picked Anthony Martial over him. Like, well, I know Martial was up top, but like, or even you've picked Jaden Sancho over him. And I know it's like Jaden Sancho's your big money signing, but it's like the, again the ruthlessness of a manager to pick his form players over his marquee signings is the sign of a good manager. And I think that. He, he put himself in a really hard position Ollie, by not picking Jesse Lingard to start because then you've got Pogba, Ronaldo and whoever, and, and no, and, and whoever they brought on Jane and Jaden Sancho, sorry, to, to bring on. So you like, if you don't start your marquee players, you've got to bring them on. So then that leaves no scope for Jesse Lingard to play. And it's just like, like it, 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 he could have been a difference maker given a start or even given, you know, 30 minutes off the bench, but he wasn't allowed to. Yeah. I, th- I think the thing with Oli is just, it, it just comes back to, again, the, these managers getting these jobs when they don't have the experience necessary to perform in these jobs. He's in a very tricky spot right now when they've got very, like some very hard fixtures coming up and he's just got like no experience to, to, to lean on. Like Guardiola, like Klopp, like Tuchel all do. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he can dig himself out of it, but oh, uh, just just so we can get a, a live live on air. What was your uh, response to my uh, take of uh, no league but round of sixteen exit for United? Uh, from last week's episode, it's, it's, I'd, I'd say it's probably a, a pretty high possibility. <laughs> if, <laughs> if, if 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 something doesn't change, for sure. Josh, but what not, do you? But I'm not happy about it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Josh, what are your thoughts on the um, Ollie's decision? Ollie's sort of sh- sh- cornering himself with the selection choices he made. 
Wilbs knocked it on the head in the fact that you pick a manager without the experience, and it's not just tactical experience. With a squad like United have, you need to be very, very good at managing personalities. Like you've got too many chefs, not enough sous chefs effectively. You don't have enough players who are going to put in a shift to let your stars shine. And then you've got too many of them. You can't put them all on the pitch at the same time. Then when you try and do, you've got to change the system or change them out of their positions that they excel in. How are you as a manager going to go and tell this guy, whoever it might be that you've decided to put on the bench, whether it be Sancho today, whether it be Rashford, Marshall, Rashford's probably better because he's, you know, loves the club and he's from the youth, but you've got to tell him why he's not playing today. And you've got to have a really strong personality to get him to believe that you not playing is the best thing for the club and that you're there to work for the club. That's a really hard thing to sell to a player. If you've got too many of those types of players that are expecting to be in the starting 11, then <laughs> like you're doomed just because you've been, you've almost put yourself in a bad position where you've, you've, you've made things too hard to manage. Yeah, I, I, I agree hundred um, percent. The last thing I want to say uh, or get from everyone is Josh first um, as a Liverpool fan, who had had Rafa as a manager for many seasons. Are you surprised with how sort of solid Everton are looking or is it when, when he was appointed, did you kind of expect an outfit like this? Kind of hard because looking at the outgoings of Everton, like they lose Ancelotti, who's it's not just like, he's a Carl Ancelotti, like what a manager. You lose James Rodriguez, who was really integral to creativity. And then a couple of other big names left, like, you know, Moise Keane and then, you know, Walcott, even though he's a bit older. And then the people you sign in, Rafa, could be considered a downgrade, you know, like Rondon, Townsend, Gray. At the time, they didn't look like an upgrade. So you, I was a bit worried for the club, but it wasn't because of Benitez's, like, ability. It was more just the way that it was trending is that things are probably going to be worse than they were last year. Um, but, like, he's an amazing manager and he's had a lot more experience managing teams around Everton's level than Carlo has. Like he had a lot of time spent at um, Valencia and he had that big stint at Newcastle that he's just come from. Where if you look at Ancelotti's history, you've got from 1999 when he was in Juventus, he went to Milan, Chelsea, PSG, Madrid, Bayern, Napoli, Madrid. Like all of those teams are just like the best teams in their league and they're brimming with cash. So Rafa kind of knows how to make things work a bit better with teams that are on more of a budget. So I was kind of expecting him to do uh, a good job um, it's hard to say where it's going to finish this season, but he's certainly um, overachieving with Everton compared to where they probably should be given the current situation of their squad. And to Wilbur, are you surprised uh, with how things have been going despite uh, seeing as there was so much backlash to the appointment at the start of the season? Or are you, as someone who backed it from the start, sort of vindicated a little bit? I mean, yeah, to be honest, I didn't know a, a great deal about Rafa as, as a manager, but yeah, I, I think uh, yeah, I just stick with that original point of if 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 we want to be competing at, at at the highest level in the Premier League, um, which I suppose is is the aim of all the fans, then you have to take that emotion out of it. And him being an ex Liverpool boss and making one comment isn't is isn't really that bad <laughs> but yeah I'm, I'm i'm very happy with 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 how it's going at the moment but 
he has also inherited like a hornet's nest, a, a very like shallow squad and as a supporter base that was ready to snap at him um, at the slightest, you know, mishap. So yeah, it would be think, interesting to see how it Do you think the out. masses are starting to turn or is it too early to call? I haven't spent enough time on uh, Everton Reddit. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling happy, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I suppose it, it's hard not to be happy with, with the results at the moment. But we'll yeah, see. for sure. And finally, on to the last talking point of this week. Uh, we have Brentford beating another big team. Uh, oh, okay. It's actually, <laughs> they didn't beat Liverpool and Arsenal aren't a big team, but they, they beat West Ham 2-1. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be harsh. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they, they, they consistently knock off teams uh, that people wouldn't have expected them to knock off. Uh, they are one only have only lost one game, and that was to Brighton, who are also a, a nice outfit so far this season. Uh, this season, they have uh, drawn with drawn against Liverpool and Crystal Palace, and then beaten Arsenal, Wolves, uh, West Ham, and ooh, someone else. Can't remember, but uh, it will come to me later. Uh, so. They're looking really good. Uh, they've they, they also score quite a few goals. I think they've only they've only gone one, two games goalless against Brighton and the nil against Crystal Palace. Is this? We'll delve into them, but like the my base sort of question for this is: uh, Are they another Sheffield, or is it different? Like, is like do do we think this is because I I person I, I'll I'll say my piece briefly first, and I'll put put it to you guys. I think they're not another Sheffield just because I know it's only seven games. They seem to have a lot more technically better players than Sheffield did. They've got like, even Tony up front has got way better feet than a McBurney or whoever else, like or Callum Robinson or whoever else Sheffield McGoldrick. had. McGoldrick. McGoldrick, exactly. Um, and and Buemo as well, way, way better technically. Um, and then they've got uh, the likes of Canos at uh, wingback uh that and a few other uh, players uh, also like um Pontus Janssen I reckon is a better center back than any of the center backs that Brent, uh Sheffield had so there's my piece uh, I'll put it to Josh first what do you reckon about she- uh Brentford well I guess I'll talk about this goals thing that you mentioned because I think that's the biggest thing I can tap onto in recent history did a bit of a dive into the last 10 or so years in the Premier League in terms of teams getting promoted and what it takes for a team to do well in the Premier League the season after they get promoted. And if you look at it, the biggest thing is teams that can score goals and score lots of goals in the championship do a lot better than teams that get promoted with very defensive um, mindsets. And I guess teams that will go up just conceding a lot less goals. So QPR in 10 and 11 finished first with the least goals, worst place club next season. Reading in 11, 12, we're exactly the same as QPR first place, they got relegated. West Ham and Saints are still in the league today. 13-14, QPR and Burnley both went down straight away after getting promoted. Um, and positive side, someone like Brentford, if you look at Bournemouth, scored 98 goals in 14-15 in the championship. They survived. Norwich, who finished above them, went down. There's, I've got like five more examples. There's so many. Apart from Norwich, who seems to be the constantly the opposite to the norm, just going down no matter how well they do in the championship. If you score lots of goals in the championship and you know how to create chances, 
you're going to do well in the Premier League. Or if you're a team who scrapes by with a lot of 1-0, 2-0 wins, you're going to struggle because you can't score goals the next season. You can't teach that into the team where it's a lot easier to defensively back up these teams. Brentford last season scored the most goals in the championship. They had to come through the playoffs. But now look at them. They're doing amazingly well. So I think that has led them to not being in Sheffield because they don't play like Sheffield. They don't have that same kind of setup in that they're a very defensive team. They go out there to score goals and battle teams and it's getting them points. But did, but Sheffield also had a very good first season. Were they a high-scoring team in the season before they got promoted? Um, they were, like, I guess they were all right, but they conceded the least goals in the championship. Um, yeah. And that, so that was more like their aim. Um, and yeah, it may not have hit them in the first season, but it definitely hit them in the second season. And sure. yeah, if you look at this list, even the ones who didn't, like like what their first season wonders, most of the teams that scored a lot of goals that's still in the league today, you've got West Ham, Southampton, you've got um, Leicester as well, who did the same thing. You've got these teams who've come up and then stayed up for a long time. Yeah. Uh, so I guess, Wilbur, we've, we've talked at length about Sheffield and how what and what went wrong for them. I know we haven't really had much chance to watch much of Brentford because it's only been seven games. And truth be told, me and you haven't watched every one of their games. I don't, I don't think I don't think ever, anyone in this podcast has watched every, all of their games. But there seems to be like a little like a lot to like about Brentford going into this season, and like even like their manager. Like I know I know we liked Chris Wilder for a while, but he had a bit. He was a bit rough, and like this this manager seems like kind of like a like a like a Klopp type. Do, do, do you think that so far, based on their start, like they that they have a, a better chance of staying in the league? Yeah, well, I, I definitely think we've we've got a very small sample, and yeah, as as you say, I, I haven't watched all of their games, <laughs> maybe one, <laughs> but yeah, I I think um, I think something that you do like seem to be able to like discern from them is that they do have a very savvy manager and they do have the, the management of the football club seems quite, you know, it, it seems very well run. They've had a very steady rise from, from league two into the premier league. Um, and it, yeah, it, it, it just seems sort of sustainable. Um, I, I was trying to think of who to compare them to when you said it's like, is it another Sheffield? I feel like, I feel like they're a bit more similar to Brighton in, in in the in the way that they have a very adaptable manager. And like if you look at Leeds this season, they're struggling after having a really good first season out of the out of the championship as well. And they think about Bielsa and and Chris Wilder, they have a very like they play one way. And I feel like that can work in your first season up. And then um, but then you can sort of get found out a bit. So I think I think they have a better chance of longevity because of that. Their manager seems quite adaptable. It's, it's funny you say Brighton because the, the other South Coast team that I think Brighton's a good comp, but another South Coast team I thought they reminded me of is also Southampton. It's like like you said, like the slow rise from uh, being in like League Two or League One through the years to eventually getting promoted in thirteen, fourteen, or whatever it was. And it's just like yeah, and and at the same time, I don't remember who. Southampton's manager was at the time because they've had quite a few since then. But like, yeah, I feel like uh, uh, you don't necessarily have to have a man be a manager with immense top flight experience. But that that whole like adaptability 
is is really key because Graham Potter, I I'd never even heard of who he was before before he before he got assigned to Brighton, and now everyone's saying he's one of the 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 top managers in the in in the league just because of what he's doing with that Brighton team, which we've we've touched on before. Um, but yeah, so I think ultimately, like the way that they set up and the quality of the players they have combined with the um the manager sort of nous is that the right word nous yeah um, to me. <laughs> well, there we go uh <laughs> it, it, is a recipe is a recipe for success um and like obviously it, it's a really small sample size so we'll have to come back to this story as it progresses over the course of the season but i, I do feel like there's there's just something I like about Brentford, you know, like their their, their mascots, the bees. Brentford Community Stadium is a real nice vibe to it. I don't know. Yeah, I was I was just gonna say the Community Stadium. I love that. <laughs> makes me feel like I'm playing. You know, it makes me feel like a stadium. You know, I, I'd play at. You know, on on the weekend. You know, yeah. <laughs> Princess Park Community Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think. Thing. Oh, yeah, sorry if I jump in. I think no, another you go, thing you that Brighton's got going, oh, sorry, not Brighton, Brentford's got going for them is if you look at the makeup of their squad, um, they've only got two players that are 30 and above, and one's 30 and one's 31, and they're both centre-backs. So it's like quite a young squad. It's quite an athletic squad. So it's not like if you compare it to the other end of the spectrum, they're more than four years on average younger than Burnley, who's got a 29-year age this season. And you look at Burnley and you're like, oh, God, if they go down, they're stuffed. Like Burnley you, need just, to go down. It just so doesn't bad. feel like they're in a good position because it's not like they're building in a way that if something goes wrong, that, you know, Brentford could come back up where because, you know, they've got that young squad. They're building like this community. They're, they're building the football club. Um, some other clubs don't have that feel about them. So I think Brentford's not just playing for one season. They're not one of those clubs who's just thrown – hundreds of millions of dollars to stay in the Premier League. If you look at their signings, I think they spent maybe like 35 million in the off season, like not a huge amount. So they're trying to do it a bit more sustainably than others have in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you look at, if, if sorry, Woody. No, you go, go. If, if you look at the signings, like the signings as well, they've sort of built a squad and, and have not come into the Premier League and be like, oh, shit, we need to, we need to bring in some Premier League experience desperately. They've got, you know, the, the team that they fielded against Arsenal in the first game, I don't think had any Premier League experience. I, I could be wrong on that. But no, no, yeah. no. That's, that's, I was, I was going to say the same thing. It was, it, was, it was literally like, and I'm pretty sure the team, bar maybe one player, the team they field every week has next to no Premier League experience. Like so, quite a few of them have international experience. I know their, their centre midfielder Norwood is quite good for the, for the Danish national team. Uh, Pontus Janssen obviously has international experience um, and, and a few others, but like, yeah, like, like, like you said, um, they're just a championship team that is just letting their players evolve and adapt to the championship. Um, and I guess you could kind of say Sheffield did that too, but like they did also bring in the, like the 20 million pound marquee signing of Lise Mousset, the season, their first season, who was really good first season, then was just hit by injuries and bad form in the second season. And then also that, the second season and it remains to be seen what Brentford will do if they stay up and what they'll spend on. But then Sheffield, you can tell, kind of tell how Sheffield wasn't run so well with their like, absolute last ditch signing of Rian Brewster, which turned out, which I think it was given as the worst when we did our signing grades. Will that was the worst signing for both of us? Yeah. Yeah. 
it was it was it was a bit shambolic really <laughs> yeah and, and josh is giving throwing up money signs on the zoom call josh what did you think when you when you fleece shepherd for 23 million pounds mate i don't know how it, uh, like edwards keeps doing it but we keep selling players that are not good to clubs like andy robertson we got him for dirt cheap because we're like oh you know what have this terrible central midfielder who's played for us a couple of times. He's a really good player. Now, look, we've got Robbo. Like, we Wait, who'd you give him? him? I'm trying to, re- I can't remember his name. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's the level that we're talking about. Oh, wow. We just keep selling players that are not up to it for money. Um, and Rian Bruce, I really like him. But yeah, you got I, 16 the- mil for Marco Gruich. I was like, how? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's going on? I don't understand. But um, I, and how I much you happy. sell Jordan Shakiri for as well? It was a decent. Uh, that was a bit less. It was only eight mil, but. Um, Actually, that's probably fair. Yeah, Shakiri was going to a league that doesn't have any money. So yeah. Uh, finally, um, there was uh, a couple of Champions League results that happened. Um, obviously, the day after Josh and I recorded the podcast, I'm just getting them up now. Um, let me just get them up. Well, we'll be mentioned the Juventus Chelsea game earlier. That was one. Yeah, so Chelsea lost. Chelsea lost to Juventus, um, and but oh yeah, well, the one the one thing I wanted, and obviously United scraped through against Villarreal. We've already talked about them. The one thing I wanted to touch on, Bas and me and we'll be have talked about Barcelona a little bit before. Barcelona losing three nil to Benfica. Uh, <laughs> what's going on there? <laughs> we'll, we'll start with you. <laughs> Yes, it's it's all pretty sad, really. And I think, yeah, the the game before in La Liga, they had like quite a good, they had quite a good win, and Ansu Fati came back, and I think there was a bit of like a, a good feeling around the club. And then, uh, yeah, <laughs> to, 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 yeah. To be honest, I didn't watch it. Um, Neither did I. But I just think when we're talking about, you know, how well football clubs are run, um, to be in the position that Barcelona was in you know, when they had that just amazing team in 08, 09 sort of era and to, to come to where they are now is just, yeah, it's just shambolic and yeah. Yeah. No, I I'd think very disappointed as a, as a Barcelona fan. Yeah, for sure. Uh, which before I get to you, Josh, I'd say that like, I saw a quote or it was like, it was like I think as Barcelona were walking on to, uh, play a game. There's like I think it's a Champions League game. I think it's against Bayern Munich. I'm, I'm not sure if you guys have heard this, but the commentator is like the likes of uh, Henri, Suarez, Ibrahimovic, uh, yada yada yada. And it's like, and now they line they they line up up top with Luke De Jong and Memphis Depay. <laughs> Martin so, Braithwaite. Yeah, and Martin Braithwaite. So it's it's quite a fall from grace, Josh. Look, I think that all the blame has to go to the management. The club has been mismanaged but at the same time it's one of those things where giants haven't always stayed giant you know teams have gone through their rough periods barcelona's never really gone through a rough period so for them it's like the most shocking thing in the world right like oh my god the club's capitulating so it is a bit sad but i also experienced a bit of schadenfreude from it like for those Good who don't know, what, what is that? <laughs> it's it's malicious joy, enjoying the fall of someone. You know, oh, yeah. Barcelona has been at the top for such a long period of time. Like, let them struggle. Let them have a few bad seasons. As Depay said in an interview recently when he was asked, do you regret joining the club? He's like, we're still one of the biggest clubs. Or I think he said biggest club in the world, but still one of the biggest clubs in the world. 
we're just having a rough patch. We'll come back from it. And it might take them a few years, but the club's going to survive. They'll be fine. Just might not be winning the Liga and Champions League every second year. Like, oh, no, such a shame. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it really puts everything into perspective a little bit, doesn't it? But, yeah, I know. Should... I think... Go with yeah. Kuman said in the, in, the, in the interview after the match, like, yeah, I'm, 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 I've not been brought in to, to win the Champions League, but it was like, yeah, but also don't lose 3-0 to Benfica. <laughs> <laughs> he is he is terrible. And, like, you know, he's, he's sacked from Everton. So how you've got a resume good enough to be the top job at Barcelona is beyond me. I, I, honestly, I know it's early in the season, but I, I am genuinely surprised he still is in a job. I, th- I, I losing three 0 to Benfica for me is like the nail in the coffin. Like with how bad they've been in the league, um, and like they were, I think they're ninth in the league or something like that. Like, like it's just it, it, I don't know, it's inexcusable for me. And like Wilbur said, like he doesn't exactly have the huge resume to fall back on. We've got Southampton, then Everton, then sacked, then the Dutch national team briefly, and then where he is now like what kind of a resume is that to coach barcelona like josh josh like josh like you said one of the biggest clubs in the world well i think part of the issue here is that because they're in such money problems if they sack Komen, they're going to pay him and then they're going to pay someone else to come in so <laughs> they're sitting there being like we don't want you but it's going to be really difficult financially for us to sack you and hire a new manager and also like we mentioned last week about uh, what would happen Ole later in the season. You need to have someone good enough that you're willing to take that financial cost of sacking him to bring in. Um, you know, La Marcia is not where it once was, but they were previously bringing coaches up from the, the, the B team, you know, and bringing them through the system. Um, that's a cheap way to get a new manager, but I don't think they've got that quality anymore. So where are you going to get this good manager from and where is the money to do it? I have, I have to, just just before we finish, I have an interesting scenario, hypothetical o- over a number of years scenario. I want to play off both of you guys. So, the last period of success, really, that Barcelona uh, tenured was under Luis Enrique. Correct? It's when they last won the Champions League. Was he was manager? Uh, he and I think like they've won won the Liga since then, maybe. But like essentially, he was the last good manager that they had, um, it, like or at least last successful manager they had. And I think right now they'll probably take him back. Currently, he manages the Spanish Spanish national team, but Pep Guardiola has also said he won't renew his contract after 2022 or 23, and says he wants to take a short break and then manage a national team. If Barcelona can somehow, you know, uh, get the water out of the sinking ship fast enough to keep it afloat for three seasons or two seasons, uh, so come 2023, Pep Guardiola leaves City. And takes over, and then uh, takes over the Spanish job, and Barcelona get Luis Enrique back. Do you think then, after two or three years of hurt, they might finally start seeing some light of day? And is that a scenario you could potentially see happening? We'll, we'll start with you. I mean, gosh, <laughs> it's a bit far fetched. I'll give you that. No, 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 no. It's I, I, I wouldn't say it's far fetched, but there's a lot of thought going into it. Um, <laughs> I've literally just thought of it in the last five minutes. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I mean, I think it's, I think it's possible. I, I just suppose it's. I don't, I don't know when Kuman's contract ends. Do you know, Josh? Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose it could depend on that because they'll just need to get the next good manager in, like as, as, as soon as that's 
um, as soon as that's done, if not sooner, if, if, if they can handle it um, financially. But, but yeah, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> hey, if this happens in two years, be, I'm a profit. That's all I'm saying. It, it, it'd be sad to see Pep go, go from the Premier League, though. It would be. It would be. But I, 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 if, if, I would still love to, like, to see him sort of finish his managerial journey as a manager of a national team. I feel like he could make a, a, a national team play some really nice tournament football. That being said, he doesn't have a great record in tournaments, or at least with Bayern and Man City. But anyway, Josh, what do you think of my theory? Well, I just going to say, it looks like, I just did a quick search. It looks like the end of this season potentially might be when his contract is up. So June 2022. This is Coman. Um, for Coman, yeah. Uh, I think it, it, it reminds me um, that Klopp has long been rumoured to take a sabbatical in a couple of years from Liverpool. So it could be one of those moments where Guardiola and Klopp shake hands and say, it's been a great battle and walk off to go do something else. And Klopp takes a break. Who knows? Maybe he'll want to become the German manager and Guardiola being the Spanish manager, they might just reignite their rivalry on the national team again. So that's something sick. that could definitely that happen. That would be so, so cool. Because as a national <laughs> team manager, you know, it's a little bit less stress than a, a club team because you're a little bit more spaced out. So I think that's definitely something that they could be seen doing in the future. Interesting. What about Luis Enrique back to Barcelona? Mate, they'll take anyone at the moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had a look as well. Um, Valverde did win two La Ligas the season after he took over from um, Luis Enrique. So he did win two, but he did inherit that, inherit, that, uh, inherit that squad. And then, of course, results plummeted, leading to him getting sacked. And then, you know, Setien lasted like half a year and Komen. So I guess that was the start of the end when yeah. Valverde came in. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm not sure if it was right. maybe it wasn't so much Lewis Enrique leaving, it was maybe just Neymar leaving and MSN crumbling and it all kind of falling apart. Iniesta retiring, the soul of the club left. But anyway, lots, lots, lots of things wrong with uh, uh, Barcelona. Uh, lots of things, uh, some lots of things right with Brentford. Something uh, things uh, things looking good for Everton. Things not looking good so so good for United. And despite what Despite Josh's misgivings, I would still say things looking quite good for Liverpool and City. Uh, that brings us to the end of uh, episode 26. I think it's, I think it's roughly around 45-ish minutes. And uh, yeah, um, thanks again for coming back, Josh. You're, you're always welcome here. Cheers. Thanks for having me again. Uh, good to have you back, Wilby. Good to be back. Uh, hopefully we'll be in the same room next time. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, so weird being on a zoom call with you it's yeah bizarre. we're across the hallway in separate rooms although we live in the same house yeah it's it's really peak 20, peak 2021 uh but yeah that's all for now uh as always i didn't actually say this last week when i had josh and i completely forgot to do it but yeah uh follow us on spotify follow us on instagram uh if if, if you're of of that mind to tell us what you think tell us what you think and uh yeah ta-ta for now